the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Vegas 56 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. Hey yo, what's up? It's the Protect Your Neck Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Tom. And this is work you find over at MMA Junkies, well, it's oddschecker.us.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today tonight whenever you listen to this. Hopefully it's before the fight. Recording this Thursday night. Uh, not too late because I can't. <laughs> I'm finally starting to try to get wake up early and shit. Um, but, uh, yeah, the night before uh, weigh-ins, uh, not a mouse was in sight except for the Dan Tom, who's back with all his might. No perverted twist, just a really lame rhyme. Um, we're going to be breaking down the UFC Vegas 56 uh, from top to bottom, UFC Fight Night 207, UFC Fight Night uh, Volkov Rosenstruck, UFC Fight Night Volkov Rosenstruck. Yeah, you know it was coming. My favorite, my favorite Jewish heavyweight, baby. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, check the timestamps for when that starts, of course, from top to bottom. Um, and, of course, I will recap my picks and plays at the very end of the episode from top to bottom. Um going to start with a couple quick notes and a recap of the last card because I kind of just left it an empty week. It was a week off and we didn't get that many of those, much less like UFC Contender Series and Bellator all at the same time um, as those are my beats. So I literally can count on one hand a year that happens. So and I had a lot going on, obviously. Um, tying stuff off with my dog. He's healing up okay. Thank, thank goodness all we can do now is just... Uh, Hope, pray, and vibe, and uh, all the rest. Um, that uh, we got the cancer, and, and it doesn't come back. Well, if it does, we can get an early, early, early detection. But he's doing good. Going to plan some cool stuff. Hopefully, some maybe a San Diego trip. It's just everything's expensive, and money is sparse. Um, shout out to the Sound of Violence guys down in San Diego, and some of the listeners of the show. Uh, if I do go down there, I definitely will be hitting y'all up. Um, also was, you know, recovering from, um, EDC, went out to EDC, uh, that's where I was, I wasn't watching, caught a surprising amount of the fights, being that, you know, you kind of stay up most of the night and, uh, sleeping at weird hours, I guess, um, but, uh, and they even placed, uh, Shimbets, uh, which all, uh, uh, you know, not all, but, you know, hit the deck for the most part, losing night, we'll get to that. Um, but I didn't really care too much, to be honest, of the results, which we'll get to as well, because, you know, I was enjoying time with my girlfriend. You know, we'll say EDC probably two days is where Dan Tom maxes out. Three is a bit much. Uh, you know, I'm getting older now. Just By day three, I just want, you know, a full meal and a, and a, and a full rest. <laughs> I'm like, Farm remembers. Um, but it was it was cool nonetheless, you know. Um, some cool acts. Uh, I, I, I dug the uh, dug the uh, favorite groups my girlfriend liked, which was good. Um, you know, although you know, I, you know, you know me. If I, I always gotta talk trash on kind of everything. Um, 
you know, there, there, there was a lot of like, I, I, I could see where a lot of like the, the hardcore breakdown, you know, we talked about band stuff last time. Of course, Dan was in more of the, uh, you know, I love the metal influence too. Definitely had some heavy parts, but, you know, definitely like more of the youth crew revival side of the punk rock hardcore rather than the more metal core, heavier breakdown core that it kind of evolved into the scene when it just really got too much about, you know, who are the heaviest breakdowns, who are the biggest crew? And that kind of turned me off, that whole thing, and it was just a lot of false bravado. And now I see where a lot of those guys went. I'm like, oh, okay, they went into the, the whole, like, Skrillex kind of like, let's open, let's see it. See what? <laughs> I want to see it, Vegas. My cock? Like, what are you talking <laughs> I love hardcore stage guy talk. It was the stupidest. I used to, like, imitate it just for fun because I hated it so <laughs> Although I did my own annoying version, of course. <laughs> what, Dan, you talk? Oh, no way. Um, but then there was like Armin Van Buren, I think was there. And then if you guys are familiar, they do like Shogun's theme, like some, you know, some real old school stuff. So I was like, you know, definitely more, more among that crowd. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was good times. Um, what else? Oh yeah. And then also, you know, I had to get ready. I didn't even realize the train Alta thing started, uh, that week and, uh, it caught me off guard. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I just, uh, I've been, you guys know I've been, like, getting ready for November. I've, despite not looking like so, uh, you know, in photos or anything, I've actually dropped 10 pounds this year, uh, despite all the craziness, um, in preparation for this. So, uh, you know, I was, I, I was really upset, um, myself in general, uh, that I got caught off guard and I missed the, missed the first week, but it was probably for the better. Had blisters and blood blisters all over my foot. Which I'm still healing from, uh, fighting something on my toe, so I just been wearing my wrestling shoes, which I have my new ones on, so I just look like an asshole, you know, prancing around with my white, my, my white and yellow Adidas. Um, it's like, uh, what's that? What's that fucking? I never really watched that show too much. What's the uh, Reno 911, the, the the Sergeant Dangle or whatever, the guy with the short shorts? Like, they make me run faster. Like that's my excuse for wearing like having white wrestling shoes or white white gloves, boxing gloves. I always like that color. Like, it makes me feel quicker. <laughs> so, yeah, um, going to round out the week. Um, going to be there tomorrow. It's been cool, man. Um, it's it's great. We got uh, Amy Kaplan in there. She's awesome. Uh, my guy, Kenny, of course. MMA Junkie, the MMA Roadshow with my guy, John Morgan. Uh, J-Mo not in there, but just shouting out the, uh, the podcast. Um, I know Kenny has been updating both on their, um, they got a nice community there for their Patreon for the MMA Roadshow. Uh, but obviously, I'm sure, you know, uh, giving, uh, you know, for the uh, the regular uh, free podcast feed, I'm sure updating everybody as well there. Um, and I'll try not to bore you guys too much with my updates here on that. But, yeah, I just kind of wanted to recap, you know, what was uh, what was a week off. And um, I hope you guys had a good week off. Um, and uh, I hope you guys did better than me and the official plays I gave out for... Um, well, which were the plays? I didn't, I didn't change anything. There weren't any ads. Like, uh, but uh, yeah, for UFC Vegas 55, which we went seven and four overall, zero and one in parlay pieces, um, zero and one in straight plays, two and one in props, which helped, but you know didn't completely stop the bleeding, obviously, and went zero for two in the old round flyer shots. Um, of course, we had a uh, Caitlin Vieira defeated Holly Holm. I'm not going to bore you guys with the scoring talk. You've been beaten to death. 
Um, a lot of it's been already been talked about, you know, by podcasts and people that I've shouted out from Couchside Judges to Sean Sheehan to my guy Aaron Bronstetter. Um, but uh, a lot of the stuff as well, um, um, especially the more more nuanced points, um, I've discussed here. So if you've listened to this and my, my show, God bless you. Not sure why, but at least you know um, you will have. You know, none of these things will will be new to you. Of these concepts, and uh, if I'm going to get upset at Nick Maximoff beating Sean Soriano, I can't be upset at Ketlin Vieira defeating Holly Holm. I definitely keep being on the wrong end of Ketlin Vieira fights, and uh, air quotes controversial uh, decisions, right? But you know what? She's been on the wrong end of not being enough damage when I was on the wrong end of uh, backing her, of course. But uh, you know, she's improved that, and it was still a close fight. And whether you thought she won or not, I mean, I don't think we can be calling the robbery word. Now, even, you know, as passionate as I get, <laughs> which I do, um, seldom do I say that word, so perhaps it's not a surprise that I don't think that. But, yeah, um, and I had money, and I bet home, and I pick home. And, um, you know, if, if that decision would have gone my way, I wouldn't have felt bad about it, with, especially, you know, with all the ones I've been wrong on. But I definitely would have acknowledged that I that I probably, you know, I sweated one out and I got away with one. It was a sweat, and I, and I got away with one. I got a nice bounce. Um, but I didn't. And that's that's fine. I mean, it, it sucked. It would have made up for the other the, the other the other failures, but um, but yeah, you know, um, I like people take you know, I, I don't disagree with um, outweighing Vieira's counter right hands over the debasing body kicks and other cumulative work that Holm did in round three or four. Uh, I just want to make sure that the body kick is acknowledged. And it wasn't like the body kicks, did, even though it did debase her. Um, it wasn't like the ones in Dern Torres, because the one Torres did were amongst like consecutive offenses where she was consecutively and consistently countering Dern. Whereas home, I believe like right after that, she gets tagged by her right hand, and she really was not able to put consistent bouts of offense um, through very much of this fight. Uh, enough in rounds one and five, I think, not too controversially, you know, but yeah, uh, and that's all I'm going to say on that, it's been talked about too much, uh, Michelle Pereja defeated Santiago Pondemonio, Santiago Pondemonio, um, is, um, yeah, uh, you know, of course I'm rooting for, for Ponzi, maybe I'll feel different, but I have no issue, this felt like a close fight, I don't know, about 30-27, maybe I got to rewatch it, because I wasn't watching it closely, I'm like milling around the hotel room, getting ready to, getting ready to go by that point of the night. Um, you hear the commentary, you know, boosting Ponzinibbio uh, at the end. He gets the late-round takedown, which means nothing, but he lands some really significant right hands off it. So I, I would say it does mean something. Um, <clears throat> uh, but, again, you've got Pereja in rounds two and three doing um, good work in the beginning uh, of both rounds quietly. You can't forget about and have to keep weight um, and just decide, does, Ponce, uh, does Ponzinibbio do enough to outweigh that early work? Um, if I go back to watch, maybe I'll see the things I said, which I know I was passionate and said bullshit. I, I don't care. I, I have no problem with the decision at all. And I bet Ponzinibbio. Um, but, yeah, sure, maybe when I go back and look at it, maybe there'll be a little bit what I was talking about where, you know, um, uh, uh, Ponzinibbio always looks more hurt than he is. And, and maybe this was another case, which is real easy to do when you have such a big and explosive guy um, like Pereja. You know what I'm saying? It's a good skin year, and I think the shots land clean even when they don't. So, who knows? But uh, I had no issue from what I saw. You know, it was a competitive fight. Uh, where Pereja won. 
Shidinijikwani defeated Dusko Todorovic. This was, uh, this went, um, fairly as I thought. You know, again, um, most of Dusko's success was because Chidi gave his, gave to bottom, but uh, outside of that, again, Dusko struggles with takedowns and was going to run into a wood chipper with his aggression that he did inside the distance. Prop caches, which was nice, helped. Tabitha Ricci defeated Pollyanna Vianney. Uh, I didn't really watch this one too closely. Thought about playing Tabitha Ricci, stayed away. Would have cashed if I did and would have helped, but at the same time, you know what? Uh, it was a pie of sweat that I didn't need, and it, it didn't sound like uh, it was the most convincing win. Um, you know, but uh, I could care less to argue about scores. Jung Young Park defeated Eric Anders by decision. That that decision prop helped. Um, and a lot of people were upset about this one. And again, I bet, so I'm too biased. And I, again, I was, you know, I'm watching on vacation mode. I, I, st- I stated stating all these things, folks. Um I missed the first round mostly, and I caught uh, a decent amount of rounds two and three. And um, after about a minute thirty to two minutes into round two, and there's about a point where John Ennett goes, "Oh, it, you know, Parks head head snaps back," even though um, he would keep coming forward and, and consistently countering um, Anders or, not, or keep uh, when he was, you know. Uh, he, he, he wouldn't be discouraged in the direction he was moving, whichever direction that was, because he would he would kind of go back and forth and do end up with his back against the face because uh, that's where Anders pushes the action to. And again, I've been saying this for for years now. When are people going to listen? Like, or be stop being surprised when Eric Anders pushes against the cage. Um, and you can argue that oh, Dan, I think it's more significant than you're giving it credit for. That's fine, but the point is the reason why I, I couldn't pick Anders is because. Even if he does land a significant shot, he's not going to help his case because he's just going to crowd his work and push to the cage. And after that point where Annick said that about minute 32 minutes in, like there's like so many left hands and kicks that are actually missing. They're hitting the shoulders, but I'm just like, oh, I bet you people are thinking this or these are hitting and they're not even hitting. And like it's actually like a, a long stretch where I'm like, holy shit. Anders hasn't even really hit him clean. He's been throwing a lot, but he hasn't really hit him clean for like. And I was just like glued to my phone at that point because I found it amusing. And I'm like, I bet you so many people are probably like, oh, they're just seeing the big strong swear, and they're counting that. And uh, so, you know, it was a close competitive fight. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm not saying you know, it would have been. It, and it definitely wouldn't have been. Uh, you know, it would have been crazy if Anders got the decision or anything. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying that it's definitely not crazy that Park got the decision. But again. I know, I know, I bet part. But even if I wasn't, and perhaps, again, this is still a bias, but at least my bias is something that people rarely ever talk about, which is consistent countering off the back foot, body work, um, inside work, etc. And Park was checking off those boxes. He got the win. Joseph Holmes defeated Alan Amadovsky. Um, by the way, maybe I feel different about the Park Anders when I go rewatch it. I'm on vacation mode, folks. You know what I'm saying? Um... And uh, I honestly thought the judges were going to give it to Anders probably, if I'm being honest, now, now that I think back to it. Just because, again, like I said, even though I was registering a lot of misses, I'm like, these are going to look like hits to a lot of people. And maybe they are, some are hitting that I'm missing. That's why the judges, you got to give them the benefit of that over our eyes to the TV production uh, filter. Anyways, Holmes defeated Amadovsky, uh, choked him out. Uh, I guess I called that one, but I didn't play anything. So you, you know, what's that worth? And again, nothing. I didn't really want to play that. The Jailman, baby. Jailman with the pound town. <laughs> Jailman. <laughs> yeah, baby. Uh, easy, Dan. Um, 
yeah. Uh, I'm glad I stayed away from round two, uh, but he did get the sub. Um, Uros Medic looked good from what I remember against Omar. Glad I stayed away from the Omar um, lines. I was real tempted to play that too, and I don't I don't blame people for for falling into that. Uh, Medic showed up. Um, Jonathan Martinez vote for Pedro defeated Vince Morales. Um, shit, maybe I should just throw him in there <laughs> over home. I was I I thought you know Martinez might be the one to get maybe upset there. Uh, in boxing distance by Vince Morales, but did not. Uh, Chase Hooper um, turning a bit of a corner. We'll see how far he can go. Um, but uh, I'm not hating on him. I just, you know, it's tough divisions and, you know, to, uh, these, these kids getting thrown in like this. But, yeah, defeated uh, Felipe Corrales. Um, Sam Hughes defeated Elise Reed. Picked her, but didn't play her, so... You know, can't get too excited, but still happy for Hughes and Fortis MMA, man. I mean, I feel like they've been on this little run now again, which is really nice and very deserved. I'm a big fan of Coach Safe Sayud. All right, that wraps that recap. 17.08, not too bad. Um, push on, doing pretty good. I dare say don't jinx it. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to go to USC Fight Night. 207. They're fucking putting here. It's like 211 on odds checker. They're weird and all turned around. Um, Alexander Volkov, minus 155. Uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrach, minus uh, plus 135. Um, yeah, man. Uh, you know, this is one of the, a couple fights where I came in thinking Russian by decision, easy pick. And then I came out, you know, leaving the other way. Got turned around. Um, and we'll see if it's for the better. Um, it's, you know, it's for the value side, air quotes, the dreaded value word. Shout out to Joe Yo. Uh, you know, from the betting perspective, at least. But well, that doesn't mean everything, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I uh, Volkov's been tough. I've, I've, I've backed him when he's been dog odds against these prospects, you know, to test him. You know, show me. Show me you're worth, uh, you know, getting a more proven guy at plus money. And uh, they, they did. And... They did, and, and a mix of, you know, Volkov just not looking looking great. Now, pressure seems to be a big key, you know. Sometimes, like I was talking with, uh, by the way, shout-out to uh, Zane Simon, had me on the Vivi, uh, a little early preview this week. If you follow my feed there on Twitter, at DanTomMMA, where I post most of my content, where I'm just most active social media-wise. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but, yeah, like I was telling him, was just, you know, we're talking to him, and just sometimes, you know, fighters improve and they grow and they go through different iterations, but sometimes those weaknesses are just kind of just so burnt into their core and they, they pop back up every once in a while with the right formula because, they again, they're just so burnt in, right, the DNA perhaps. Um, obviously that grappling, uh, not, not uh, Rosenstruck's forte, but I would say pressure has quietly been a thing and, and Volkov acknowledged that, you know, with one of his main game plans is he can't, let him come forward, which I agree. You're in the small cage, there's less room for error, and Rosenstruck, you know, another reason why I'm glad I watched the tape, <laughs> not glad, I hate to watch fucking Gone versus Rosenstruck. I had this coming, by the way, I was like, because every time I'm like, there's so many fights from Contender Series, other fighters, I'm like, I don't even remember, I, I, Dunbar's number is so crazy, I'm like, I have all these profiles of fighters I don't even remember making profiles of. Okay, fuck yeah, at least I have a starting point. Um, and then when they're like a main event fighter, it's like, okay, I definitely have like multiple profiles of them. And I look back on like Volkov and Rosenstruck and like both of them on their last two main events each, I coincidentally 
maybe not so coincidentally, took those weeks off. I just looked at it, I'm like, fuck that card. So everybody's kind of doing that this week, and like, damn, why are you doing it? Or, you know, much less, why, you know, you're you going, you going behind enemy lines over there, the bloody elbow, going to help them do it too. And uh, it's like, you know what, I, I, I deserve it. I deserve this punishment. Uh, I missed out on these last two fight weeks, and, and I don't even think I left you guys, I think I even left you guys hanging on podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I took those weeks off. The rare off weeks. Um, it's just funny that I've, I've, I've always chose these guys. <laughs> like, unless it's, like, something happens, like, earlier this March, like, family emergency stuff, or, like, the rare weeks off. Um, <laughs> these are all, the only two guys where I fucking target. I'm like, all right, that's a fucking week off. So I had this one coming. Anyways, um, so, yeah, gone and Rosenstruck, no good. But when you actually go back and watch his last two fights... Um, He's coming forward with much, much more uh, pressure. Um, even in his loss to Curtis Blades, he, he knows what he's supposed to do, which is really rare for a lot of fighters to know they're supposed to pressure the wrestlers. You think that should be much more obvious as far as a core staple of a game plan. But, yeah, he did it. And, uh, you know, Sakai as well. And if you look at it, his cage cutting is actually really good. He keeps him in position, um, which he should. I mean, he doesn't throw a lot. I mean, he has no excuse to fucking get out of position, right? Uh, but the thing is, a lot of these kickboxers, they you got to give them room to breathe a bit. Um, from Joanna Yanjacek, um, Adesanya to uh, you know just even non-champions, but everyone in between those two, right, male to female. If you notice uh, different varying ceilings and selections, the common thread is that they get better and more comfortable as they get along, which makes sense because they get better with wrestling, better with the cage, better with jujitsu. And then they start throwing more, uh, throwing more kicks, you know, and this and that. And we've been seeing Jarzinha throw a bit more kicks, even the occasional flying knee, which he timed really well to uh, Curtis Blades. Um, closed up his eye. Uh, and, yeah, uh, just, you know, showed uh, some takedown defense. And even when he did get up, uh, get taken down and couldn't use the momentum, he had get-up answers against the cage. Like you could tell he's been working on these things. Like it's been what six camps or so at American Top Team. I had to imagine, you know, it starts to to pay off. This is his seventh camp with them. Whereas Volkov actually changed from his longtime Strela team to a completely new camp. And shout to East Spencer Kite, which is why I shared the article. Um, excellent follow by the way, UFC writer. Uh, he's got an excellent um, Substack and you know blog that is well worth following as well. Check him out um, when he in his uh, article on Volkov was talking about some striking, new striking things they want to try out. And I know you got to take these things with a grain of salt, but there are two things for sure is that there's always the adjusting period, even if it's a veteran, even if it's a good camp change. It doesn't matter the scenario. There's always that one adjusting period, that weird adjusting period we see when there's a camp change, especially if it's a, a decent one. Now, he stayed within Russia, so I don't know how much more of a camp change, but he did change things up. So there's that. Um... Two, the, the last thing you want to do against a fellow striker, much less a fellow specializing counter striker, is try some new striking stuff you're, you're maybe not comfortable with or haven't tested in the octagon yet. Um, you're going to test that against a guy who's looking for that one mistake and just needs that one mistake, literally. doesn't have to hit you clean. Um, and you're going to be in a striking contest with him. Now, Volkov, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, better wrestler, but his wrestling improvements are defensive because everyone's trying to take him down. Um, 
I don't know if you were a tall guy going for a much shorter heavyweight. It's generously listed at 6'2". We've talked about this, Rosenstruck. Um, that's going to make it super dangerous, even if that was his game, which it's not Volkov's game, right? So, again, are you going to really try something else offensive? You're already trying new striking. Now you're going to try, like, level changes with your tall body to get under Rosenstout's much stouter heavy Rosenstrike's much stouter heavyweight frame? I mean, you're just uh, 10xing the counter opportunities on on paper at least, right? Uh, so I don't I don't know how much to bank on that. And if he does, t- t- is it actually worse for him? Right? It may seem better on paper, but for the reasons I just laid out, is it actually worse for him? So potentially 25 minutes is a long time to be stuck in that cage. Um, and between the Volkov letdown, again the small cage, the kind of fight that it's going to be. Um, you know, I'm not ready to completely write Volkov off. I know people have been saying he even almost looks like he's getting into shot territory. I don't know where he's at personally. It could happen, but he's still really young for a heavyweight despite fighting for 14 years, Volkov at 33, whereas Rosenstruck 34. Um, that being said, man, I'm, I know he's not the most popular fighter, but I like, you know, um, I, I love my Jewish brothers and sisters, so I got to back the Fantasy Jewish Fight League this Saturday, the Apex, Rosenstruck. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rosenstruck. I got him at plus one forty-two for one unit. Check out my in-depth breakdown, MMAJunkie.com. All right, next fight. Um, another one. I came in one way and ended up going the other. Uh, Mavzar Ivloyev minus four ten. Dan Ige plus three ten. This line is doubled in width from the opener. For that alone, I could justify a shot on Ige, which I did take. Spoiler alert here. But um, let me talk here. Yes, there's the bias, the extreme couture bias, Eric Nixick bias. I do like Danny. I've interviewed him, but we're not like buddies or anything. There's not like a, some like bias there, you know, uh, or anything like that. And even with Eric Nixick, who I love and 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 uh, do consider a, a not just a buddy, a close friend, uh, I picked against plenty of his fighters before when Falls was alive. I picked against. You know, if all, if all is all business and stuff, you know, he he didn't have any issue with me picking Tony Ferguson over Kevin Lee. Uh, I think I even picked my third round submission. But um, even congratulate, you know, after well, are you crazy, you know, anything like that, because it, it's all professional. That's why, you know, um, uh, I picked against Danny Gay probably three of his last five fights. So even though I'm stating my bias, it's. That doesn't mean that's why I'm picking him. That doesn't mean. Does that mean you should follow me and put your money? No, you do what the hell you want. But um, I am stating that to both kind of a state my biases like I always do, but b not enough people in this space. I'm not just talking about the breakdowns or this or that, or I'm talking about like all facets of the space, right? So many examples. Not enough people state their biases, um, but yes, especially in media in general. Not enough people state their biases or are aware or properly acknowledge the other side, uh, whether they're involved or not, you know, or a you know a certain side. Um, so I do not want to do that. Um, but that being said, uh, I'm somebody who can state my biases, show my work, and still you know um, pick against my friends if I have to because it's my job. So just just putting that out there, feather in that nest. Because um, I did end up going with Ige here, and yes, you can make the value argument that certainly helps, and and um, you know certainly helped me place a wager here. But 
as much as I've loved Evilov, the Russian Frankie Edgar, if you will, and think you know, and, and at first I was was waiting for him to go back to bantamweight because I was aware of him on the regionals. Uh, but you know, I I I think he could he, he's probably outgrown it. He's really gotten to weights, and his wrestling skill and his, his overall skill set, his boxer wrestler skill set, will allow him to be successful to fight at a more healthier weight class like this. So I don't have so much issues there. Dan Ige, not the biggest featherweight either, um, but. Dan Ige, not just will fight for your money, but um, will always fight hard. You know, people, you know, uh, you know, kind of question his gas because he'd have these weird drop-offs in round two. But even in those fights early on, win or lose, you'd, you'd always get a good, honest round three out of Ige. And then since his run of main event fights, he's really taking his strength and conditioning up to the next level um, as far as his pace. Um, and... We saw that even in a three-round fight with Josh Emmett, which was a big turning thing for me because I was out with like family and my, and my girlfriend, UFC 269. So, again, I'm, I'm barely watching these fights now, folks, because there's just so much of it. you really got to pick and choose your time. So if I miss things, like even good things, things that I want to see, it's it's hard to justify to go back to it when I've got a whole slate of things, and that uh, fights and non-fights that are right in front of me uh, that are pertinent, that are relevant, right? Hard to justify, so I wait until I got to research him again. Now I have to research it again, so I went back and watched the fight. It was a good fight. And again, bias aside, I probably even picked Ige, or probably even picked Emmett. I didn't, have, you know, if I remember correctly. And um, dude, like I think, you know, and by the way, no, no problem with Emmett winning. By the way, close competitive fight could have gone either way, depending on what you see. But I think there's a, there's a good argument for Ige there. You know, it says unanimous, but it was a competitive, competitive fight. Um, and Ige was able to take, you know, the punches, uh, you know, of, of uh, you know, one of the biggest hitters, by arguably maybe the biggest hitter in the division. Um, you know, never been stopped. Um, and never been submitted, you know, uh, uh, collegiate division two, Wartburg College wrestler, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I think he's got like a judo brown belt, I think, even. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, went out, had a, air quote, secret Russian camp, training with, you know, I'm guessing Khabib and a lot of those people in company, which he's done plenty of times before. Uh, again, you know, mentally breaking grinds and stuff. I think Evilev's going to show anything um, that those guys won't. Uh, training uh, with uh, Justin Gaethje and company, Trevor Whitman and company up there in Denver, even got a little training in with uh, Henry Cejudo down at Fight Ready, and then, of course, Extreme Couture. Um, he does fight off the back foot, which, you know, can be a point of contention. You know, I feel like, I, I you know, I would argue maybe he would, you know, maybe pressuring and stuff, uh, even, even though he's had losses, you know, chasing guys around like Arce earlier in his career. Um, but then part of me feels like, you know, especially, you know, you just, uh, you could see the stuff that, you know, Nick Sick and, and, and Gifford are working with him. And it, it's almost like uh, he's like, he's just a couple pieces away from really connecting a, a, a poor man's Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, and I make the comparison because of just, you know, a variety of selections, stature for their division, the tools they have and what they kind of. Um, would like to achieve, and they both also started off as very aggressive, grapple-heavy, forward pressure-moving, striking, right? And have kind of evolved um, more to striking in space, feigning, uh, setups. Um, obviously, 
you know, Volkanovski, you know, another level, top level. Uh, not trying to make a direct comparison, but, you know, again, Ige is just right at the cusp from just stepping up to that next level. And he's had really tough matchups, and I was really bummed he's taking this matchup. I was like, ah, oh, you know, at first, at first glance, this seems like a real tough, and it is going to be a tough fight, but uh, it just seemed like a fight where I was, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm picking evil by decision. Shit, fuck, oh, I hate picking against Ige, right? Uh, but when I looked at it more, um, aside from these other things of where he's training or this or that, which, you know, don't mean everything, granted, you know. Um, you know, y you looked at it more, and I'm like, man, he's really improved on the boxing. And again, I, I know, you know, uh, not trying to ask where I eat, but just trying to be critical. I, I, I question either the applications of maybe the Tates and Calvillos um, with the Gifford gentleman. But when I was watching the corner for the Emmett fight, I really, really liked, and of course, I always love what Eric Nixon has to say. He's one of the best corner guys in the game, man. Um, but like uh, Gifford was really telling feints and body work again, really smart stuff in there. So uh, again, this like the, the I, I, I don't mean for my any past criticism to sound uh, oh, look Dan's trained in there now. He doesn't want to get beat up. I'm sure there's plenty of people that still want to beat me up. Uh, believe me, there's no that don't matter. No one listens to this. But like. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't want any past criticisms to be like come off as like oh it's garbage or anything like that. And I never said that, but like um, you know, you just kind of critically question, you know, does it fit? Um, is it who's you know, is it the other end? Is it the fighter end that's maybe dropping the ball there? But I really like what Gifford was telling Ige um, in the Emmett fight with the feints and the body work. Um, and you see, you know, EA's really quick off that with the left hand, and he's always kind of setting up counter lefts and counter rights, or crashing right hands in this in the Gavin Tucker fight. And I like those because Evloev, he's, um, he's much, he's much. He, I, I I like what he's doing in the boxing department, um, and uh, like you know, he's fainting. I can see what he's doing. She's getting better at pulling stuff out and pulling the trigger when he is able to pull stuff out. His instincts are getting a bit better. I could see where his head's at. Um, but he does the typical wrestle boxer thing where he dips and crouches heavily to the right. So when he runs into left head kicks or left hooks, he runs into them very hard. And Ige does both those things, not just from the southpaw stance, but he does switch up head kicks into the body and then plays off of that. Plus left hooks one of Ige's. Best slash better punches, from my viewpoint, anyways. Eric, I'm sure Eric Nixick will tell you exactly which punches, though maybe he wouldn't. But you know what I'm saying. I'm I'm not saying I know from experience, just from my speculative view. Seems to have a really good left hook, uh, and of course we've seen his right hand get the job done before too, which could work as well because um, Evil of is slipped to the other side because you can't just keep going to the same side, and he knows this. But he almost has this dart where he leads head first without his hands. And uh, he's been tagged with rights that way too. And I just feel like Ige can tag him there and either knock him out or even possibly edge out a decision here because unlike his last fight, which, which probably cost him because, again, even though judges don't have the benefit to watch and focus in a quiet room like I do to see what is actually landing and, 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 and not, uh, they don't have that benefit of the doubt. They just got one time in a crazy environment, right? Um, and then you got a big hitter like Emmett. Again, big swing, punch, and we know how that sways. You don't need me to go on that rant. We know this. wish more people would acknowledge it, but we know it. Uh, this time, that's not going to be the equation. EA will be the Emmett of this equation. He will be the bigger puncher, the more powerful, more potent puncher. 
Um, he can be rocked too. He can have a bad first round, and Evloev can rock him. But if the guys he's faced from Barbosa to Emmett, um, you know, Cater haven't been able to finish him. Um, I don't know if Evloev does, and I actually think that it's almost good if Dan Ige has his typical bad round where he looks like he either gets hurt to the head or the body, and then ha- and then recovers. Because Evloev will go nuts on him, uh, kind of like he did um, in the fight. He, I believe in the fight he gassed, and he almost did in the in, in the um, Nick Lentz fight and had to pace himself out a bit better. Um, and then yeah, dropped off uh, it, against uh, Duodu, um and was really working hard and kind of wrestled himself into a hole there. Like I could totally see him doing that against Ige and then trying to break Ige and not because Ige is used to bigger. Uh, better guys doing that to him in training and um, survives. And then, you know, we have a, we could have a close, you know, third round. It's like Pons and it's like the co-main event last week, folks, that I'm setting us, us, like you guys need to fucking jump on. I'm telling you guys to jump on my bandwagon. Jesus, I'm not, I wouldn't do that. You guys make your own decision. But you know what I'm saying? What we're going for here, what I'm going for anyways. Um, you know, it could be the same thing where we have a competitive second, a, a strong third, where if it would have been five rounds, we know who to would have won. But at the end of the day, it's a loss. You know what I'm saying? Um, could set us up for that too. But Ige's got multiple ways to win. You know, he doesn't have a great of a shot to win it by decision, but he's got more of a shot to win by knockout. Uh, but he can win by decision. So for that reason, and for the reason of literally the money line almost doubling from the plus 170 he opened at, I got Ige at plus 310 for 0. .77 units. Uh, so just over three quarters, and then what I did was I took 0.17 units, uh, my normal sprinkle, uh, for Ige inside the distance, which was priced the same by KO at the houses I play at, and that price is plus 850. So collectively, it's just under a unit, and that's how it's divvied up. Um, so if Ige hits, it's a winning night regardless, especially if he does it by knockout. Um, whereas overall which I'll give the third dog out lower in the card. Um, we'll, we'll just, we'll, overall, we'll need two to secure profit, but if Ige is one of them that hits, then profit is secured, even with, with that math, and you'll see why uh, as we get there. Uh, hopefully, let's push the rest of the card there. Um, I'm just going to go the uh, odds, best fight odds. I don't, so I don't know if this is the card listing. Um Michael Trezano, minus 225. Uh, Lucas Almeida, plus 185. Um, Trezano looks like parlay piece material off first glance, and I'm going to pick him. But I feel like he's primed to upset, so I would I would tread carefully. Maybe buyer beware there. Um, I say this because Trezano's um, the more, you know, uh, the more uh, MMA uh, experienced and, and friendly grappler, whereas Almeida's got a suspect Black belt with suspect getup ability and will close his guard by the cage. Didn't like that. Also didn't dig too deep into his regionals or watch the one fight he had since contenders. But watching his game, he does seem to have hard wiring in him. Or even though he's got like kickboxing and Muay Thai black belts, even though there is some stuff to be desired from the clinch. Like he, 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 he's hurt other guys from the clinch earlier on at the lower level regionals. But, um, you know... Zell Huber, who was super impressive, granted, but n- not a specialist uh, um, per se because he kind of looks like really good everywhere kind of a deal, mainly striking perhaps, obviously. But uh, 
seeing his lanky striking ass kind of just muscle him around in the clinch. Um, you know, I, I feel like Trezano can do the same if he wants to. Trezano's more, more consistent uh, fighter, uh, real durable, tough to get out of there, tough to scare off. Um, good jab, but here's the thing. Yeah, the hard wiring for Almeida is that he counters the jab with the right hook over the top le- uh a right cross inside slip, left hook follow-up. I think that's going to be money against Trezano. Um, so I feel like Almeida could actually upset here. Um, for that reason, it's dog or pass, but I'm going to pick Trezano by decision. Uh, Kareen Silva, minus 130, another contender series fighter. Uh, I wasn't impressed with, despite her winning, she got a C. She's minus 130 over Pollyanna Botelio, plus 110. She actually opened minus 190. Fucking contender series. Awful. She fights on her back foot, which... We're picking against almost everybody um, who fights off their back foot, minus um, you know, my, my, minus the top two guys I put money on, which, again, they have other pathways and other things in their game there. But this girl will go straight to her back foot, be opportunistic, um, no jabs, throw herself, kick herself, punch herself out of position consistently. Um, when she's put on her back, doesn't have a get-up game, she cut the Chinese girl she fought in the contender series with elbows early, then doesn't go back to it, just stays on her back and doesn't even, you know, goes to rubber guard instead. Um, and then is gifted a guillotine. Like, I do not, like, and, there's, and you know, she's been fighting for a minute, but, like, I, I don't know what they could have come back and seen to really justify that. Botelio leaves a lot to be desired. She does a Leo Santos thing where she only fights once a year, but she's got... More size, athleticism, experience. Um, her game favors the small cage. Um, even the ugly cage-pushing parts of her game, right? Which, again, you can't depend on it to win a fight. But, uh, you know, she'll throw offense and try to bully uh, from those positions if she can't get the fighter down. Um, that is Botelio. And um, I think she's only a blue belt to Korean Silva being a purple belt. But again, that's like the only martial arts ranks, I believe, between the two outside of their regional titles and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't get it. I could see why money came in on Botelio. I'm not putting money on Botelio, but, I, but I'm going to pick Botelio in this spot. Uh, I think she's going to be the better wrestler. And um, even if she's not Korean Silva, will throw herself out of position. And that'll give Botelio what she needs. Alonzo Menafield, minus 250. Uh, Askar Maz Haroff, or as my man Brazchuk says, and I'll definitely cop him this, cop his stuff this week, while well, of course I cite him as usual because there's no MMA analysis this week. Trashcar Mazaroff, <laughs> plus 200. Um, great, great, great name. Great name there, Brad. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going with Menafield here. Uh, couldn't find much at all on on trash card now kind of makes more sense with the uh the record workings uh and whoever helps him from management to otherwise um yeah just followed that family guy skit hey everybody he's a big phony uh shouts to jay petri that article i retweeted over from sure dog kind of detailing the fraudulent records that's plural um and you saw the line kind of follow suit uh, regardless, this guy seems like a one-round fighter, and Menafield uh, seems combustible. So, 
I want to say if we get past the first round, it should be Metafield all day. So, uh, But minus 250, uh, that's out of range for me. Not that I was looking to play him earlier, but I also was not aware of the info. And then the line kind of exploded as so. So I wish you luck if you're on it. Uh, but I'll go um, Metafield by some stupid submission, which I'm sure is a ridiculous price. I think my man Brasschuk was hitting me up on that. I may, I'll post it for that play that. But uh, let me see, actually. What's Metafield sub? Plus 450. It was plus 800. Wow. Yeah. I'd probably go um, Menafield sub, to be honest, and maybe Menafield like round two, sub round two. Let's see what you get for that. Just to fuck around, maybe. Let's see. 375 at bed online. Menafield sub. Round two plus fourteen hundred. Hmm. 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 I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll post it if I play it. <laughs> Sorry. Creepy Yoda, what are you doing here? Are you banned from seeing the Padawans after last time? Alright, uh Jesus <laughs> How's that Obi One series, by the way? Like you know, the the hipster that almost wants to talk shit on what every, whether my friends or my girlfriend, doesn't matter what they're watching, like I, the, the asshole in me that just wants to talk shit about things. Like I, all this Obi-Wan talk and Star Wars and, you know, is it is it good? Is it awesome? How much of it is fucking just exploitative, fucking rehash bullshit and fucking telling you what you like? Let's get everything into the Disney Marvel fucking universe. I don't know. Uh, you know, which I sympathize with that. Uh, but I'm just like, I, what if the Obi-Wan series was just him being, you know, Nancy in the desert the whole time to use a uh, term from the, my, 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 my fellow friends across the pond? You know, he's just being a nonce in the desert. He's like, hmm, yeah. He is growing rather nicely. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. Why is everything always perverted on this podcast? Uh, all right, back to the breakdowns. Um, all right, prelims. Felice Herrig, minus 120. Carolina Kovalkiewicz, plus 100. Um, not much to say, because I barely remember this fight, and, like, I was there live uh, at UFC 223. Sure, I was on a massive amounts of, uh, you know, perhaps uh, alcohol and uh, schmettables. But listen, <laughs> uh, my fat ass just making trips to the snack station <laughs> while dudes and papakas fucking try to ask me to pull my Khabib card. Like, Khabib time, right? Khabib time. Like, yes, relax, guys. It's Khabib time. You, you, you. I mean, Jesus Christ. I've met a Reddit fan base that has just been more insecure, and you're a fan of the guy with the zero in his loss column. Relax, guys. It's Khabib time. It's okay. He's only fighting Ali Quinta. Can I get to my seat? Thank you. That wasn't a shot at Ali Quinta, more shot at these guys, but you know what I mean. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I like Al. But, uh,. And I like I like J.I. Quinta, Al's dad. He's the shit. J.I. Quinta, baby. J, Coach J. All right. Um, <laughs> Dan. Wow, that's a great breakdown of Herrig and Kovalkiewicz. I'm going to go with the girl who won last time despite picking Herrig. Um, I'm not like an inside information guy, but uh, one, I actually got a inside info uh, from someone close to the camp uh, of Kovalkiewicz. Sorry. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, essentially, they said uh, a primary part of a primary part of the game plan was the Imanari role, and I was like, "I'm gonna pick Felice." <laughs> and again, I didn't even care to rewatch it to know she, she had an argument for the split um, that she came on the wrong end of. But 
He did see Kovalkiewicz, uh, despite throwing in a winning effort, throw some Minari rolls in there. Really questionable ones. So, you know, I let my source live. Of course, I, I love the guy. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll switch my pick and, and go with the dog. And I'd say it's dog or pass, but it's probably just a pass, you know. But good luck to you if you're playing this fight. I don't know what the hell you're saying. Um, Ode Osborne, minus 190. Uh, Zaruk. Zaruk, Zaruk is on fire. Zaruk, Adashi, plus one sixty. Um, yeah, uh, I'm still gonna go with Ode Osborne. Uh, my pick from the Vivi section. Um, just because in a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup, he's iced somebody. Whereas uh, when Zaruk Adashi has had long Southpaws or long fighters, they usually ice him or just knock him down repeatedly to a decision win. And Zaruk was, was, was competitive and fought his way back into spots in that Sumaderji fight. Not trying to discredit his efforts there, but you know what I mean. Um, but Adashev will switch stances more. He fought more orthodox last time against Benoit, but that's because Benoit is an orthodox fighter and he clearly had the calf-kicking game plan. I wouldn't be surprised if he does that again and goes back to his southpaw stance to do so and mirror it, but that's going to put him right in line for some long shots. That seemed to be hard to see for us southpaws when we get another southpaw. Um, and O'Day's a long one. He finishes, aims to finish early for the most part, seems to be doing that here. Uh, I know he gassed out against a guy who missed weight against CJ Vegara and still was able to edge it out, granted. That does count for something. And maybe counts for a little more. Again, always take what the fighters say in interviews with a grain of salt. But yes, he did say in an interview that he had a terrible weight cut, which makes sense. So either you could take that as a sign that goes, okay, well, he, he won on his worst day. Um, we'll take him here. Um, it'll probably finish early anyways. Or you could look at it as, you know, I am recording this before weigh-ins, folks. I mean, these guys can miss weight whether I'm picking them or not, whether I'm playing them or not. Um, it's often the case, right? Um, but, yeah, maybe he's just outgrowing this weight class, and um, that's something to fade and watch out for. So whether you – I think this is – I'm going to still pick Ode Osborne because ultimately not just the southpaw dynamic but the directionality dynamic. Um, Adeshev, uh, Adeshev, you know, he is cage positioning. He, he uh, retreats – he fights way off the back foot, and he's a short guy. So he's automatically kind of putting the percentages lower um, away from his favor, um, if you ask me, as far as that goes. Um, so I have an itchy spot on my... I was like itching my arm. And like, I'm like all like paranoid, like making sure it's nothing turning into anything. It's hard to, hard to see because I have a tattoo sleeve. Anyways. Always got to keep an eye on your skin, folks. I use the defense soap and defense-wise, but you never know. Um, gems, you just can't get away from it. You always, you always got to be be good about that stuff. Um, wow, Dan, focus. But, yeah, I'm going to pick Osborne. Um, probably inside the distance. Was going to look to play it, and then I was like, nah. It's probably not, I didn't even know what the price is because I, I just, by watching the uh, the tape. Plus 165, I mean, it's a decent shot. Um, but he could buy, win by decision, or Adeshev could upset here you know i started feeling a bit more dogger dogger passish on it after watching this a bit more um but i'm gonna stick with my pick of osborne for the uh i feel a solid reasoning but um, not solid enough for me to lay it on him at minus 190 and uh, i don't really feel like exposing myself on a on a prop there um alex de silva plus 145 joe selecki minus 165 basically both guys um 
good grappling and the small cage is going to encourage grappling. And I just essentially think that Selecki is the better grappler. And perhaps um, perhaps wrestler, despite Alex De Silva as uh, the Zane Simon over there. Uh, Alex De Silva, uh, I don't know if Stan, but you know, he, he does a good job of following and breaking down his game um, and talks a lot about his underrated wrestling. Um, who knows, maybe even has the striking edge, but uh, Selecki is good enough to uh, not do that too long for the most part. Um, and yeah, I don't know if, um, De Silva will have the, uh, same answers that Gordon could dog out, so we'll see. I'll pick Selecki, but I stayed away. Um, probably by decision, probably by decision, if not late sub. Um, Damon Jackson, Walton Goggins, baby, minus 575. Uh, versus Daniel Argueta, plus 410. He's apparently natural bantamweight, Jackson Wink guy. And watching his um, LFA stuff, I believe that's where he got the uh, bantamweight title. Um, and uh, yeah, didn't really watch too much of this one. He's replacing Derek Minner. Uh, I feel like Jackson can probably get it done. Missed the boat for the plus money on Jackson by sub. Um, I don't know. I wonder what Jackson round two is. Is it more than plus 450? Damon Jackson wins in round two, 380. God damn it. What did it open at? 450. Shit. Look at me right on the money. Uh, that's where I would have wanted it. Um, yeah, maybe take a shot round two. Hey, play the Fortis guys in round two. Both of them. I have a feeling one of those will hit. Maybe both. Um, they're both fighting short notice guys that they're bigger than. And more experienced than. And have a grappling edge over in the small cage. So, maybe some Fortis round two sprinkles. I'll tweet it if I end up playing it. Um, I just, I like the math that I have right now, and I don't want to fuck it up, and less is more on cards like these. It feels like it's at least the smarter way to go. Hard to argue that. Uh, Benoit Saint-Denis, minus 155. Nicolas Stolce, uh, plus 135. This opener was too stupid. Plus 235, yeah. I don't blame anybody for grabbing that because my ass and still ended up grabbing him uh, a dollar lower, but he's still at plus money. And not, sh you know, uh, I, I wouldn't take it any lower than this maybe for myself, but uh, it was enough for me to take it. I also wanted that, that other dog. This was one I was looking at. And I kind of talked myself into it in the Vinit Viva section. We're going to St. Denis, but then I believe Zane stuck with it, but he brought up a great principle, um, which I know other, you know, people in the space uh, like my man brad shares where you know always be weary of someone being favored or overly valued in any way coming off of a loss especially we really haven't we haven't seen them win in the ufc or beat anybody notable um now we haven't seen stolze win in the ufc either granted um, but he's been fighting for five years despite you know he's been fighting for five years longer than saint denis St. Denis only been fighting for four years, and he just took a life-changer of a beating. So his trajectory is all fucked up and scrambled. In this era where people with weird sample sizes, as we saw with Trashcar and, and, and others, questionable fighters in the UFC, they can get in, right? Not throwing shade, let's just be honest here, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just kind of uh, separating, you know, separating the... Or, uh, Whatever, we're, 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 we're essentially 
pulling strings? Is that the term I'm looking for? I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, we're trying to separate, you know, the men from the boys. I hate that saying, but you know what I mean. But the thing is, it's not even like the men from the boys. It's like we're trying to separate a 16-year-old from a 19-year-old. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, there's not that much of a ceiling or projection difference regardless of which side you fancy here. Um... That being said, you know, Stoltze, I was a little bit worried. I, I misread. I, I didn't see that he actually fought at lightweight before, even though it was a loss. Um, he may have fought another time or two. just doesn't list, and those were wins. So maybe he does have wins at lightweight. Either way, he's fought there before. And I know he's been out in Vegas for a minute, like at least for the majority of this year. And turns out he came out earlier this year to do a test cut to 155, where he actually took a photo and looked healthy, and he's been doing it under the coordination of the PI and since then he didn't go back to train he's been training at syndicate which is which is good you got a lot of high level training partners you know again you more he already has technically more UFC experience and more positive UFC experience despite actually getting knocked out where it should have been knocked out multiple times in St. Denis um, but training with those level talents and when he was training you're one of his main guys was um What's his name? Peter Sabota, who not just looks like his opponent, but is of a similar stature, similar stance, and similar strengths. Takedowns against the cage, jujitsu, and literally probably one knockout to his name, just like Saint Denis, probably without looking, but throws, you know, some some powerful strikes from the Southpaw stance, you know, even if they are means to it, and he throws them with commitment, right? Like that was his main training partner. Uh even when he was over in Europe, where um Saint Denis, you know, in his home camp in France bunch of people I don't recognize, not saying that means anything, not saying that means he's going to uh, lose. He could very well win. He's favored to win. Um, but he definitely should have been favored that much. And you still question right now, should he even be, be favored? This really should just be a pick'em fight. It should have opened close to pick'em, and there's no justification for it to go too further from pick'em. So for me to still be able to pick uh, decent plus money odds at plus 130, you can get, still get him at plus 135, plus 137 at some houses. Um... I don't know. I did. You don't have to do it. You don't have to follow me. It's not a. I feel you know gun to the head. I probably feel better about the two other um, shots at the top of the card. One of those hitting. Um, but this has a decent shot of hitting, I believe, and I will take the plus money side of that shot hitting um, by taking the money line. Uh, multiple ways to win. Um. And, uh, by the way, the takedown defense, by the way, against Ramzan and Ameev, that was a really competitive fight. I know it was a unanimous decision and arguably 30-27s all the way through, which no issue with that. But, again, it's a competitive 30-27 if that, um, especially if you're looking at damage, you know. Um, round one, some people thought round two was more competitive than one, which I thought round one was a bit more competitive than round two. I thought round two was a better round for Ameev. And then round three, like... Ameev hit some really nice knees, which I think end up winning him the round. Uh, but he had a tough time taking... He's credited with four, but he barely took Stolza down. Um, you know, he had a tough time taking him down. Stolza showed a really good defense, really good sensibilities, good wrestling, hand fighting, uh, underhooks. Um, and then even scored a level-changing shot taking uh, Ameev down, you know? And he's debuting on somewhat short notice, so... Uh, you know, and I know the commentary is talking about him being tired, but Amit was tired too because it was a high-paced fight. The guys, and the fact that he was making his debut against a super experienced guy, not just in the UFC, but Overwatch, 
uh, overwhelmingly experienced guy like Ameev. Um, that would really impress me, which is probably why I was high on him going into the Gooden fight. I think I was like, I even probably played him in that fight. I'm like, oh yeah, I really like this guy, even though he lost. But again, hearkening back to the beginning of this breakdown, guys like Brad and Zane say and Warren is careful about overvaluing someone off of a loss, and I had to learn that. I had to learn that against Stoltze. And, you know, well, he's still coming off of a loss, Dan. Well, yeah, but I'm definitely not overvaluing what I saw against Jared Gooden. He got knocked out in the first 30 seconds by the night train. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't think I'm doing that here. I would argue that that, that the odds makers um, are the ones doing that here, right? By opening him as a favorite, much less as such a gross favorite. So I'm jumping late on the train, but I'm going to jump on the train nonetheless um, and take a shot uh, on Stoltze. Um, to do work, to, to defend takedowns, be the more damaging fighter. And maybe it's a surprising finish because who knows what condition St. Denis in. I know he's had time to heal, but, like, those were... You talk about life-changing beatings, like... I, ladies and gentlemen, you ask for miracles, I give you the FBI. Uh, yeah, that's, there we go. I, I give you fucking easy DeSantos for St. Denis. Ugh, having to go back and rewatch that. Jesus Christ. Holy crap. I'm, like, re-watching that, and, like, I totally forgot that fight was in, like, uh, Fight Island. Um, and, like, there's fucking, like, Hasbullah by the cage. I'm like, what the f- this, this little fucker? This little fucker demand a death or something? Is that why Vyacheslev uh, fucking is let the ref let the fight go? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I don't know why I wrote Little Bow Wow next to Hasbullah. <laughs> By the way, am I dating myself here? Do you guys remember? It was along the lines. Maybe this was the last of it because the internet existed, but it wasn't the same. You know, you had the classic Rod Stewart, you know, sucking off band members rumor, stomach pump. You had the, uh, sorry, folks. <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to this from kids. <laughs> you should know this by this point. You had the Richard Gere gerbil rumor, right, that made it across the U.S. coast pre-internet. And, and do you guys remember the one about little Bow Wow and his, and his bodyguard in a, in a limousine? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fan of this Hasbulla stuff, so I would. I actually wouldn't mind for. Uh, I think we should start one of those rumors. Is what I'm saying for Hasbulla. <laughs> uh oh! Someone report me to Kadyrov. Am I gonna get killed now? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um. I took a uh, took a shot on Stolza there. Uh. Next fight. Uh. Tony Gravler. Oh, Gravler. Um. Gravler. Uh, minus 135, Johnny Munoz Jr., plus 115. Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, Johnny Munoz Jr., looks like he was, he's, he's really working on his jab and striking. Maybe he makes a skills jump working at Team Entram. Uh, I know I wrote off the newcomer, and then look what he did to my guy, Frank Camacho. So maybe uh, that scares me a bit. Johnny Munoz Jr., also, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, uh, good on the ground. Um, and Gravely looks like he's just barely holding it together like he you know even when he goes for the finish it looks like he's opening himself up for the finish as much as he can get the finish even if the guy's hurt you know um and he's taking heavy breaths in round three which is just i never like to see from bantamweights or flyweights i know he's not a flyweight. i'm just saying i just don't like to see that for either of those weight classes i hold him to maybe a higher pedigree uh for what i'm looking for is an mma better at least you know um and i've played gravelly before i like his style i love the wrestle boxing style of course but you know, um, it's got its clear ceilings and limits uh, in certain cases, and gravelly, you know, it upsets are by submission losses, so maybe that's why the line's so close. It could be, 
a, a steal in hindsight where you wish he took the favorite at, at a deal, but um, I'll pick Gravely and and Gravely and uh, risk uh, regretting that I didn't play him. Um, but maybe I'll be glad I didn't. Uh, I'm gonna pick Gravely by decision with uh, some sweaty moments. Jeff Molina minus 180, Jalgas Jumagulov, Kazakh Jim Norton plus 155. Um, I don't know what I was smoking when I picked Jalgas against Manal Cop. Although he did look good early, but he woke the sleeping giant and Cop iced him. Which, to Jumagulov's credit, he did show durability before. Um, but, like all fighters, you can get caught cold early. Don't think that's going to be the case with Molina. Molina looks like a builder, um, which I love. Um, but in this case, both these guys are going to probably fight at a similar arc, depending on no matter who's winning or losing. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to picture either guy. Um, getting to getting weaker as the fight goes on. Um, but uh, I, I like most Molina's style, his volume, which is going to be key here um, against Jumagulov. Uh, and unless Jumagulov goes wrestling heavy and really pushes that part of his game um, to stymie Molina early, maybe catches him off guard, makes it a little more competitive. But uh, I will go Jeff Molina by decision. Um, Andreas Michalidis, plus 220. Uh, Renat, you can fuck right off, minus 275. Fuck Retinoff, of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm going with Renat, you can fuck right off. Especially at that price, you can fuck right off, minus 275. This guy looks like he's like destined to... Um, he looks like he's just destined to punch himself out like Abu Azatar. Like, he, he, like uh, Leonardo... He looks like the guy Leonardo Santos fought. fought. It was that wild Russian dude? Didn't he fight like some weird? Wild, I don't know if it was him. Maybe it wasn't him. Wow. Oh no, yeah, Robin Bogatov. Yeah, it was that weird fight? Has he fought since? He's fought in Brave since. He didn't even go back to the UFC. He's fought twice in Brave. Yeah, like some wild ass shit like that. Like it's not the kind of guy you want to uh, you want to back, especially at that price. We got to see more. But Mikalidis just willing to have the, whatever fight his opponent brings to him. Um, so if he survives the second, he can win an ugly fight. But not even at plus 220 do I feel like fucking around with that. In fact, I'll still pick Renat. You can fuck right off uh, via first-round finish. And no confidence in that. <laughs> just enough confidence to not pick the other guy. Put it that way. Aaron Blanchfield, minus 490. J.J. Aldridge. J.J. Aldridge. Plus 360. J.J. Aldridge, lover and stranger things. Um, Blanchfield, really high percentage choices uh, is what I like about her game. Really smart grappling, and she's going to be able to get to that smart grappling. It's going to be even more encouraged, I should say, inside of the smaller octagon. Um, and she's proven athletic enough against very athletic and strong girls like Maverick to where... She can also have the athletic as well as the technical foil because Aldridge is a brown belt near black belt uh, herself in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, not bad on the ground. Um, you know, not the super most athletic girl, but, you know, strong for her size. But I don't think it's going to be strong enough. Um, you know, I don't know if Blanchfield fought at 35, but she's the bigger girl that my man Bronstetter says in this women's flyweight. You got a girl coming up. Uh, they seem to be at a different disadvantage more often than not than the bigger girls in the flyweight division. So I don't know if she'll get a finish. Blanchfield says she's worked on some technical things to, to work on those things. That'll be cool to see. 
But I think Aldridge is tough enough, and it's going to be another tough loss for her, though. So I will go Blanchfield by decision, which was, like, opened at minus 165. Wasn't even, wasn't even worth touching. Um, all right, let's recap. How do we do on time? 107, not too bad. All right, taking Rosenstrach over Volkov, taking Ige over Ivloev, taking Trezano over Almeida, taking Botelho over Silva, taking Menafield. Over Trashcar, taking Kovalkevich over Herrig, taking Osborne, easy Willem Dafoe, over Adashiev. Zaruk is on the floor, maybe. We'll see. Or he could be on fire. Zaruk could be on fire. Taking Selecki, the second coming of Kenny Florian, over Alex Da Silva. Taking Walt Goggins, Damon Jackson, over Argueta. Taking Stolze over Dennis the Saint, or, or, or as some say, Saint-Denis. Taking Gravle over Munoz Jr. Taking Mulina over uh, Jumagulov, Kazakh Jim Norton. Taking Renat You Can Fuck Right Off over Michalidis. Uh, taking Blanchfield over Aldred. Um, Joe Silva card format. Oh, yeah, Joe Silva's rolling in his grave right now over this card format. That's for damn sure. This is awful. Um, as far as plays go, uh, I got Rosenstruck, plus 142, one unit. Ige, plus, one th- uh, plus 310, 0.77 units. Stolze, uh, plus 131 unit. Ige, inside the distance, plus 850 sprinkle at 0.17 units. I may look to sprinkle Menafield sub slash Menafield round two, as well as the other Fortis fighter by round two, with his sub being out of price. That is Walt Goggins, Damon Jackson. Um, other than that, there was there anything else that was tempting me? I'm picking Botelio, but didn't play her. We'll see if I regret not playing the dog female pick like last week, but doing that as well with Kovalkiewicz as well. I'm definitely not going to feel bad about passing on that regardless. So, yeah, that's about it, folks. Can't say I like anything else. Um, good luck on your picks and plays. MixedMarshallAnalyst.com if you want to support the show via click-through banners. Um... If you shop at unfortunate places like Amazon and shit, uh, or um, there's a secure PayPal banner there as well as in my link tree uh, at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter. If you just want to make a straight up donation, people told me to get on Patreon, and shit, I mean I may need to if I want to keep doing this. But even if it comes to that, I'll probably end up doing a Kaposa and just put one up and not saying anything. Because my either way, my content's gonna be free. It's not gonna be behind a paywall. But if I if I set one up. Um, not only will I not charge you for the content, still I probably will still be reluctant to even fucking advertise the thing. Uh, so until then, I got a, a safe and secure PayPal for anybody that wants to don- donate, especially if you hit. Otherwise, you know, fucking don't donate on a losing week. I feel fucking awful when you guys do that. You're fucking way too nice, you guys. Um, but all right, uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, at Dan Tom MMA, all that PYM at the PYM podcast on all social platforms. Um, That always helps. Uh, Good luck in your picks and plays. And always protect your neck.